0: But leaving it open enough for people to experiment, to play, to come up with things that you never imagine on your own. But, you know, but because you opened the door and created a safe space for these amazing brains and artists, um, they bring all this incredible stuff to the table that then as a director, you say, great, let's shape that. And let's, 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 let's put that in there. And then that creates sort of maybe a a little bit of a different journey that we thought we were going to go on. But, but it's better, you know, because now we have all this, this great contribution from these people.
1: Today, I'm talking to animation director, Steven
0: Anderson. Hi, Petra.
1: Hi, Steve. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks. It's so lovely to meet you here on Zoom.
0: Likewise, thank you for for having me. This is really uh this is really great.
1: Yeah, no. I um I've been looking at your work. You you've done so much and uh you're an animator and a director and a storyteller or, or is is that all the um the right things to say?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Work. Um definitely. That that kind of covers it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> And and animation um, is uh, how did you get to to get into this industry? I mean, is it uh, were, were you as a child fond of drawing and so on?
0: Yeah, I uh, gosh, ever since I can remember, I love drawing cartoons, just cartoon characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was really seeing it was really Disney animation that made me mm-hmm. want to draw. I'm not quite sure what like what connected in my brain or the circuit somehow just connected when I when I saw, went to the theater and I saw Disney animation on those big screens and it was just so beautiful. And I love particularly, love the characters. Mm-hmm. Something about the eyes, the way they expressed, the way they moved. Um, it made me want to go home and try to capture that on paper, Try to try to draw those characters. And so drawing expressions, drawing, you know, like trying to convey an attitude or a feeling in a character through their face through their body language um, became a real fascination for me. So um, that was kind of how it started.
1: Really? And in school, did you did you take art lessons? Or um, was this just something you did by yourself?
0: Yes, I went to well, I took, uh, yeah, I had, um, I mean, our, our school always had an art program, I was very mm-hmm. lucky that that we had that. Um, so I enjoyed that. That was always my favorite class of the day. (laughs) Um, uh, and then I found out about this school here in California called California Institute of the arts. Um, I was reading through a magazine and there was this, this was around high school time. I was trying to figure out, well, what am I going to do when I graduate? And I want to pursue animation, but I have, you know, this was 1986, 87 ish. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was really like. I had no idea where to, could I go study that somewhere. As far as I knew, I couldn't. Um, so I was kind of looking into, well, do I, do I major in like a fine arts program? Do I do something more practical like architecture, which is still somewhat artistic, but a little more technical than what where my brain lay. Um, and then I was looking through this magazine and I found this article about this place called California Institute of the Arts that has an animation program and my brain just exploded (laughs) and I said oh my gosh I have to go here Uh, Mm -hmm. and then in in learning more about it it was a school that really Walt Disney had founded back in the kind of like mid to late 60s prior to his death Mm -hmm. Um, he had combined two art schools out here in LA there was the LA Conservatory of Music and there was uh, another uh, school called the Chenard Art Institute where a lot of his artists had come had gone to school um and so he combined those two into this uh one big art collective that had dance music theater film and art uh programs and then in the film school Mm -hmm. they had a character animation department that was kind of sponsored and supplemented by the disney studio so I mean that I had to go to this place. Yeah. I was gonna apply no matter how long it took, but I was gonna I was gonna go to this right. place. So I was very fortunate to have gotten in. Uh, and I came out here to California right after high school and went to CalArts for a few years. Was it
1: was it a difficult um, process to get in? Because if it's you know, if there are not many places like that, I'm sure there are many people who want to get into a, a school like mm-hmm. that.
0: Yeah, they, yeah, they required a portfolio, which I I'd never put together before at, the, at that point. So I, you know, worked on that. Uh, you had to do a whole, you had to write a whole piece about kind of what your ambitions were and, mm-hmm. and what you wanted to do. Um, you know, what, why did you want to be an animation? You know, what about it was interesting to you? Um, and yeah, I was, I was very lucky to to get in on my first try. So that was really, really great.
1: Yeah, I'm I mean this must be you know a, a great privilege but also then to be able to work in in this field and you worked for Disney as well.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: So how did you get this wonderful job then?
0: <laughs> <College>. <laughs> because yeah. I
1: think it would must be um, any or every uh, animator's dream to work for Disney.
0: Yeah and and you know particularly for me like I said uh being such a fan of Disney at such an early age it was you know really the realization of you know my first real dream in life which was to work there uh, but what's interesting is what I wanted to do at the time when I was a kid I wanted to be an animator and actually bring the characters to life you know do the drawing and do the movement of the characters um so I got out of CalArts and I went to work for not quite it was a few years that I went before I got to Disney. Um, I first worked at a studio called Hyperion Animation. and uh, and I started as uh, as an animating assistant. Um, and then I became an animator. So I was doing the thing that I wanted to do. And I quickly realized, I'm not a really good animator. I, I actually okay. think I, I enjoy the drawing. Yeah, but there's a whole technical side to animation, especially 2D animation, that my brain just was not grasping. I I, I struggled a lot um, on the job. Uh, I, I was okay, you know, animating at CalArts on my own personal projects, but when I had to, when I had to, you know, work in the industry and and maintain a certain amount of film footage that I was animating every week, and I I, j- I just was stumbling, but. Then I came across. then I was able to move into some storyboarding, and I realized that was really what I like to do more is that storytelling, um sort of the overall storytelling. um And I'd also I started getting interested in that later in my life as a teenager. I started learning more about filmmaking, screenwriting, and and that opened kind of a bigger door. So, So I moved into storyboarding and directing at the studio. And then I got the great opportunity to go to Disney animation as a story artist Mm -hmm. and continue that that um, continue my love of telling stories and learning more about how you tell stories and uh, becoming a better storyboard artist and a better writer, that kind of thing. Um, So then I started at Disney in 95 in the story department um, on Tarzan. That was my first film.
1: And I love that film. Oh, you know, the <laughs> yeah. Disney, yeah. <laughs> I think I saw that one uh, in the cinema alone. I think about six times because it I just yeah. uh, the music and and the whole story and the whole mother and and baby. You know, that that relationship that was so wonderful. But um, yeah. back to the 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 work as an animator and and like you say now. I when I spoke to Jeff Ranjo as well, we were talking about this. I think we don't know much about behind the scenes of animation because we think, first of all, you think, okay, animator, and you you draw all the pictures. But um, mm-hmm. there are so many aspects of this job, and like you say now, just the the, the storyboard and the character development and the whole story. Um, that's also something that that we don't think about, you know, as mm-hmm. uh, when we watch these films
0: right yeah it's uh the storyboard process is really integral to the to the making of these movies but at the same time it's a very invisible process because it never your work never makes it on screen it it does in a in in sort of a kind of an uh, an invisible way in that the the story that you develop the drawings that you do as a storyboard artist you're planning out shots and you're you're working through the characters and and their uh arc emotional arc through the story you're working out all that stuff so it's there but it's it's not it's never your drawings that are up on screen it's always somebody else's drawings or somebody else's artwork so story really lays the foundation for for everything that comes later all the pr- actual production stories considered more pre-production um in the writing phase basically just developing story so it does kind of it sometimes it isn't quite as 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 uh as evident of a of, as part of the process yeah. of making animation um much to the frustration sometimes of story artists because mm-hmm. uh you know I, I, I It's it's kind of a a common thing with story artists. People always ask, "Oh, you worked on this movie? Uh, well, what scenes did you do? Or, or you know, what part did you draw?" And so you kind of have to say, "Well, I drew this part a few years before it actually got onto the screen. I did this stuff, but you don't see my drawings on screen. You don't see, you know. So yeah, uh, sometimes yeah. it's hard to explain exactly what it is. But
1: but now explain to me, for example, um. You did. You were also involved in the Emperor's Groove mm-hmm. one, also mm-hmm. one of my favorites. But now, <laughs> where does it start? If you if you do the storyboard, are you developing the story in the storyboard? So you, um, are you a, a few people working together and and developing these different characters to, to get the story and the whole humor of it in? Is is that all happening yes. on the storyboard?
0: Yes, um, it's a it's a real team effort. You have your uh, director or directors. Sometimes it's a solo director. Sometimes it's a directing team. Um, you have a writer or writers. Sometimes it's a solo or a team. Uh, then you have a a, a role called a, a a head of story or story supervisor. That's kind of the the liaison between all the storyboard artists and the director. And then you have all the storyboard artists underneath that that head of story anywhere from five to 12 ish story artists is kind of average for a for an animated film so that team you know led by the director is creating the stories creating the characters it's it's creating everything the director is the one that kind of sets the course and communicates their vision for the film and what they want to say about the film thematically um and and, and and again really sets that stage for everyone to to play basically and develop the story so storyboard artists work in concert with writers um writers do it with words storyboard yeah. artists do it with images with uh mm-hmm. with um with pictures and together you shape this thing that has no shape when you begin (laughs) that's just this you know empty blank page um you create characters you create worlds you create um relationships between those characters and uh and hopefully you create something with meaning and uh that can connect to an audience
1: do you have fun in the process because um these films are all have such great humor as well you know in the story so so and uh, between each other do you really come up with hey let's do this is it that type of thing
0: yeah it is especially on something like emperor's new groove was um was a real if you talk to anybody who worked on the story Mm -hmm. team of emperor's new groove they will They will just go on forever and gush Mm -hmm. about how much fun it was. Mm -hmm. And that all comes from the top. That comes from the leadership, the director and the producer, Mm -hmm. um, and then the leaders that are under them. Uh, and, And that particular film, the director and the producer, were wonderfully down to earth, but also just really bound and determined to have fun making this film. So they set that tone really early on other films that you know it all depends on the 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 makeup of the team and the leadership and kind of how everybody gel gels they some are more difficult than others uh with, depending on personality differences and uh and circumstances some are just some stories are harder to crack than others mm-hmm. uh, they take longer to kind of really figure out what is this movie about and who are these characters and what you know what is it um then others tend to come together a little quicker um it's it's sort of a mystery there's no you know that's the it's the cool thing about what we do and also the frustrating thing about what we do in that there's really no rules and there's no there's no formula for how to make a movie um which is great on the one hand because it means you're free and open to do anything and you you know you don't bound by any kind of rules at the same time, it's frustrating because what worked on one movie may not work on the next oh. movie. What what succeeded, what was successful on screen or in the during the process of making it on one film, mm-hmm. may be a complete disaster and another one. And every movie is like you're starting from zero again, and kind of it's almost like the first time you've ever done it so, uh, because mm-hmm. because each one is completely its own thing.
1: Yeah, I. I always think of that thing where you say you've got this freedom and you know there's no right or wrong that you can do but that's always the difficult thing because if you have these hundred percent you have to do it like this and this and this and this it's much easier because then you know what what the rules are for it
0: yeah 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 and it's and in some ways I think that's the job of a director uh not to impose rules on on the team but to give some kind of shape and parameter that's that's why it's called directing you're directing you're giving direction don't let's not go over here let's try let's stay on this place but why don't we try to maybe we could go off on a little on a little side Mm -hmm. trip over here and try experiment with that but you know like you're you're kind of keeping everybody on the path that Mm -hmm. you see in your head and that you feel is the right way to go but leaving it open enough for people to experiment to play to come up with things that you never imagine on your own but you know but because you opened the door and created a safe space for these amazing brains and artists um, they bring all this incredible stuff to the table that then as a director you say great let's shape that and let's 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 put that in there and then that creates sort of maybe a, a little bit of a different journey that we thought we were going to go on, but, but it's better, you know, because now we have all this, this great contribution from these people. So I think it's the, I think it's, that's part of the director's job is to as much as possible. Sometimes there are moments where it doesn't really feel like there's any shape to anything, but if the director can at least kind of say, well, let's try this, let's, let's stay in this space for now and see what that gives us. So, so the director kind of helps alleviate that. That sense of 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 the paralysis that can sometimes come with unlimited freedom
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) but now um it's also you you work for a very long time on a film like this so Mm -hmm. i mean what what is the time period is it two three years that you work on a film
0: um, it depends on the film. Um, we usually say anywhere between three to five years is kind of really? an average. Yeah. Um, something like Emperor's New Groove. Um, that's a little bit of a different example because it started as a totally different movie and then became Emperor's New Groove. But the Emperor's New Groove part mm-hmm. um, was about, I think, two years from start to finish.
1: Okay.
0: Um, something like. Uh, the Winnie the Pooh film that I directed was, I think, about two years, two and a half years. Uh, Meet the Robinsons, another film I directed, was about four and a half years. Wow. Uh, let's see, Tarzan, story process. I was on Tarzan in story for about three years. And then I think there was another year after that before it came out. So, yeah, So at the at the at the barest minimum, I think you could get away with two years. But that's sometimes a kind of a rare, a pretty rare occasion.
1: But how much change uh, happens in that time period? Because uh, it must be that when you start off, you have this idea, but as the characters develop and and the story develop, how much change uh, is happening then?
0: Yeah, uh, also kind of an uh, uh, kind of a case-by-case situation Mm um uh i'll think emperor's new groove just because we were talking about that um i recall that early on the second act of the film was totally different and by the but the and then part way through we completely re reworked the entire second act in the case of emperor's new groove it's a you know a buddy picture they're traveling they're on the road together um but act two was not a road movie uh it actually was it, it's took place in one location um and then partway through we realized we need some momentum in act two we need you know it just sort of stopped because because physically the characters were stuck in one location mm-hmm. so we decided let's add that element of travel to act two and that kind of gives it that momentum um so that was, I mean, sometimes they go through, they go through incredible amounts of change. Other other films have a few key moments that kind of stay put, stay in place, like those tentpole moments. And then the stuff around them changes, how you get to those tentpole moments uh, change. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of hard to answer because, again, oh, it's okay. case by case. But Mm -hmm. a lot. I mean, change is really the change. Change might be the wrong word. Evolution maybe would be a good word because you do you do try to hold on to that spark that began the project Mm -hmm. and figure out what is the best way to get that up on screen to tell that story. So that doesn't change, hopefully, um, but the how you tell the story will evolve and, and kind of grow over the process, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, but now a film like Winnie the Pooh that you did, uh, and that's a very classic, I mean, that's a, a well known character and the stories mm-hmm. are there. So, do you keep to that, those stories, or do you also develop then your own
0: story? Yeah, well, for Winnie the Pooh, the whole the whole directive with making that film was we want to return Winnie the Pooh to his to his roots, um, his Disney roots, but also his literary roots. So my my uh, my directing partner, Don Hall, and I found it very important to. First thing we did was went back to the original A.A. Milne text and we read those books to see if there were any story material that hadn't been developed into films at that point or if there was anything that you know that we could just pull from the text so we started there um and then of course there's a lot of invention that happened along the way to kind of develop those stories but that one was an interesting one for disney animation because typically disney animated features are i mean they, they might be based on a on a on a fairy tale or something but yeah. you they're usually wholly original they're usually going to created completely pure the disney version of those stories yeah this one was interesting because the characters already existed the world already existed the voices of the characters already existed we knew like we were stepping into you know we were stepping into something that had already been created so that was totally different for all of us our experiences at disney and what was great is it made it it made it so that we could start on day one, we could start drawing already, like we could start working because we knew how the characters spoke to each other, we knew their relationship dynamics, we knew what the world was like, the parameters of the world, you know. And uh, and that actually made it really fun because we didn't have to have that year or so process of like, okay, what is who are the characters? Who what is the world? That yeah. that again back to that blank page syndrome of okay we have to come up with something from scratch we didn't have to do that on winnie the pooh so that was very freeing and uh and it it may it it helped us move quicker so we kind of got to a we discovered our story i think quicker uh early on
1: yeah but i think it there must have been also a challenge to keep it as authentic you know that people would think okay but this is winnie the pooh this is the character exactly now. yeah
0: yeah yeah the the joke was always like are we going to we never were. We never wanted to do this, but you know, the joke was always like, "Is Winnie the Pooh gonna have his hat on backwards and be like <laughs> rapping or something?" Because <laughs> we got to update it for. You know, we never wanted to do that. We're never gonna do that. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, how much? You know, how do you? How do you make, at least the, not change the characters in the in the world to fit today's audiences, but yeah, is there a way in the telling of the story? to just maybe sharpen the humor up a little bit to just maybe quicken the pace a, a little bit as as much as we love the the disney original um Winnie the Pooh films when we did go back and watch it we thought okay they're a little probably a little too slow for today's audiences maybe a little too precious for today's audiences you still want to keep the heart and the charm of Winnie the Pooh but uh but is there like i said is there a way to kind of sharpen that just a little bit so we yeah. use some of the other characters like mm-hmm. the owl character or the rabbit character just to kind of you know they could they can be a little bit sillier or a little bit um oh, yeah. more frantic or a little bit more crazy um and then you can keep poo at the center like poo and piglet the two innocents of the of the bunch you can keep them pure and and let the other characters you know, be a little bit crazier. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that's so interesting. But also now, when you uh, finish with the storyboard, or when you work on the storyboard, so now you have to say you develop a character. Um Okay, not 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 Winnie the Pooh that everybody know, but say a new character. Mm-hmm. Do you go to the animators then, and the you know the guys who are and or, or the people who are going to draw the picture? Do you have? specific guidelines to say, I want the nose to look like that, or I want the person to look like that. And and they have to come up with a specific idea or is, or do you give the outline of the character and, and they just have to come up with the idea?
0: Right. It's kind of both. Um, You know, it, as you're, as you're in the early days, as you're developing the story, of course, everybody's imagining what the characters look like in their own heads You usually have an artist or maybe two kind of doing really early conceptual stuff that also helps the storyboard artists know how to kind of draw consistently. So there's usually some kind of early, early rough designs for the characters so that everybody can kind of be drawing the same language, if you will, uh, in their storyboards. and then you, but then you have uh, other artists come on and start to suggest, you know, they build off of what's already been done, and then they suggest new possible ways to go. Do we ever, do you ever think of this? Or what about this? Or, oh, I saw this actor with this great face and he had this great, you know, profile. What about that? What if that's yeah. the great, you know, and, and it's that whole, what if, and yes, and process mm-hmm. that, that you go through as you build those character designs with your, Um, conceptual artists but again i think it all it's like we talked about before with the director i think the director gives some kind of general sense of who they see the characters are a lot of times the the, a director early on will have a particular actor in mind not necessarily that you'll cast as the voice but but just a presence you know oh i see this person like this character is like you know David Bowie or this character is like, uh, um, you know, Melissa McCarthy or some, whatever. Um, you know, sometimes you see types or you see certain, um, performers as a model for the character. So that can kind of help, help, um, bring everybody into the, in, in, you know, into a a similar space. Everybody's thinking the same general way about the characters. Um, I'm not sure if that answered that question.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Okay. But now yeah. as a director, um, is, is where do you start? Do you get the idea and then you have to get everybody together and you have to get funding together? Is that also part of your job or is is that a producer's job?
0: Mm. Um, well, at Disney, um uh what they do, what you do is as a director, you pitch ideas um, so you come up with they they want you to come up with three ideas um, so that you don't fall in love too much with one you know they okay. want you to kind of keep your options open um, and they I can come from anywhere it could be a book that you're really interested in adapting it could be a personal story that you've created it could be something you know that you read in the newspaper that you think that is a great idea for a story and you pitch those three ideas ultimately one is selected Uh, and then there's a lot of research that you start to do. Um, there's, uh, you pull reference images to kind of, to get, wrap your head around it, but also to start being able to communicate with other people about, well, maybe it's like this, or I see it kind of like this, or like you, 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 uh, you know, you fill these boards with, with inspiration. Uh, paintings that you've seen that, that you think have a particular look that kind of speaks to the story or uh-huh. photographs or, uh, like I said, actors or um, illustration styles, any of that stuff, just to kind of inspire. And then gradually you, you'll you build the team, you'll get a writer, you'll get your storyboard artist, and then you'll start kind of building that. Oftentimes the director will, will uh, innovate very rudimentary way kind of determine the general story beats that they'd like to happen in the film what the film is about thematically who the characters are what's the general arc of the story and then with your team you'll begin to flesh that out and and um you know workshop that idea but at disney you know uh and and then yes and then you have a producer attached with you as well who is working with uh budgets and schedules and starting to build the teams uh you know who can come on what what artists are going to come on and what time in the like at at what point in the development can we bring in artists? because sometimes they you know they don't want you to start building a team too large until you've got an idea that's building momentum so the producer kind of helps you with that casting people um yeah, you definitely you work very hand in hand with your producer, also.
1: And that that um, time frame before you actually start with a movie, how long does that usually usually take?
0: Um, I would say it could be. Overall, it could be a year to two years that really? you year before you actually get into production, where you're actually making, you know, making the shots that will oh, appear beautiful. on the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then what happens in those in that process? <clears throat> pardon me. Once you've gotten a story figured out, once you've gotten a script written, um, you start to then storyboard that script, and you will screen the film in this very uh kind of workshop way where you you photograph all the storyboards and you edit them time them out you put um temp music temp sound effects temp dialogue um, a lot of people have have equated it to to in theater how you will workshop a play um, you know before it's actually premiering on stage before the opening night you will grab a bunch of actors and, uh, you know, put a scratch, build some sets or something and you'll you'll workshop the play and just see how the audience reacts to it. Well, you do the same thing with animation. really. Um, and you so you you watch the movies in the storyboard form and you can get a sense of the pacing, the timing or is the humor playing? Are people, you know, feeling the emotion that you want them to feel? Um, um uh all of that now it's an internal audience that you're showing it to it's all people inside the studio inside disney um but you're still getting these kind of fresh eyes on your on your film so you'll get you'll screen it you'll get your feedback you'll get notes from people uh and then you'll kind of decide all right let's let's I agree with these notes, let's implement those notes and let's see where we can go for the next screening. And oftentimes you're screening every four months maybe, you're doing another storyboard screening, turning them around very quickly in the hopes that by the time you're ready to start actual production, you've gotten your story, let's say 75% of the way there. Now, when production begins, you're still doing story revisions (laughs) story revisions really never end until like, I don't know, maybe it feels like maybe six to eight months before the movie actually is released. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, because you can do that with animation because Mm -hmm. you're not, it's not about, well, we got to go back and rebuild these sets and get the actors back because they've moved on to other projects. I mean, all the assets are right there. It's all here with us Mm -hmm. in our hands um, it can cause a lot of problems if you're if you're mucking around with the movie a little too late in the game, so you try not to do that, but um you do have, have the ability to kind of really hone and mm-hmm. and you know hone though that film up until the last minute uh in animation
1: mm-hmm. but um I also spoke to uh jeff dana he's a he's a film composer. Mm. And oh yeah about, yeah and he talked about uh, um or a, a music film mu- music composer and he talked about the music I asked him about uh, writing music for animation because that's completely uh-huh. different to a, a film so when you when you work with this with a composer for an animation film do you also have a specific idea of or do you also leave this up to the to the composer um to know the story of or, or on what, what at what time does the composer then come into to play with right. with the with the, mu- uh, with the film
0: right well h- hopefully the composer hopefully you as the as the team making the movie um mm-hmm. have gotten pretty much the whole movie at least animated it, 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 it Because the composer is going to be working to, you know, sometimes they're they're composing cues that are hitting actual, you know, beats on screen. Like sometimes, you know, you know how it is sometimes in music, a character will make a gesture and the music will go boop, you know. So they're like, they're trying to get down to exact timing. So if you're still adding animation into your movie. When the composer's working, they're gonna they're gonna be a little bit at a disadvantage because certain things they're not gonna be able to finalize until you get at least the 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 approved movement of the characters in the camera. Maybe it's not all in full color yet. Maybe it doesn't have all the final lighting, you know, maybe all the bells and whistles aren't quite there. You have to make sure that at least you've got the majority of the movie animated so the composer can work to that. Um so then with well all right so as i said we do these storyboard screenings and we put in temp music and we use we're usually just borrow our editors and our, our music editors have huge libraries of movie soundtracks and you're just pulling cues from other movies to stick in your film to kind of give it a feeling oh, of a score mm, of a movie mm. score which of course is going to be totally replaced by a composer um so i learned a really interesting lesson about that this on uh meet the robinsons our composer was danny elfman who i was a huge fan of um amazing film composer um and he he had a really i I had never thought about this but he had a really interesting uh point of view when we started working with him he said he referred to something as this this concept called temp love and he and he said direct he said he has been bitten so many times by directors having temp love for their temp score and what Mm -hmm. that means is because live action does this as well live action will oftentimes put in this this temporary film score from other movies just to kind of give a sense of the emotion and his experience in the past is that he's had directors um Listen to his cue for a particular part of the movie a couple times, and then they would say, Hmm, can we listen to the temp score again? And they'd bring back in the temp score, and the director would say, Yeah, I prefer the temp score, make it like that. And so he got, he yeah. would get handcuffed by directors who fell in love with their temp score mm-hmm. and couldn't get that out of their head, so much so that they imposed that on him. And he said the reason he doesn't do a lot of animation is because he knows that animation directors live with their temp scores for years. Really? <laughs> <And gasps> that his fear was that he was going to walk into a situation and the director was just going to say, make it like the temp.
1: <laughs> I can imagine that must be fascinating. So yeah. Yeah.
0: made total sense to me so when we first sat down to watch the movie we turned off the temp score he didn't want to listen to it he didn't want that in his head Mm. at all Mm. so so that meant for us we were really starting from scratch uh with with danny um now danny is incredibly smart and incredibly talented and knows what he's doing so the the irony is that even without hearing the temp score it's like he knew what our temps, like he basically, he did exactly what really? we wanted <laughs> without <laughs> having to hear the temp score. Cause he, he picks up on the move, you know, and yeah, we, yeah. you know, you show him the film, you talk through it, he gets it. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back with, he, he played synthesizer demos for every cue in the movie for us. Mm-hmm. And it was all like spot on. I, I, it was a dream. There were little things sometimes we'd say, Oh, what about this? Or maybe we could try that yeah um versus on winnie the pooh the composer was henry jackman who's also amazing but henry was totally fine listening to the temp score he didn't he didn't have an issue with it And we listen watch the movie with the temp score he's oh i see what you guys are looking for or i see what you're done with the temp score what if we did something totally different and we'd say great let's try it um so it all depends on the composer but but i uh um, that was sorry for the long anecdote but
1: no 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 but it's that so, was a real yeah. lesson
0: to me as a yeah. director that uh you need to use the temp score to tell your story but as soon as you work with a composer you have to cut that temp score loose and start from scratch uh start from you know zero with yeah. the composer and build something new with them mm.
1: Well I, yeah. I I was also thinking afterwards um after I spoke with Jeff what, about the animation the music of the animation because that must the, that's so part like any other film but but I think specifically for animation because like you say mm-hmm. there's movement and there's certain points where there has to be music and um or silences or or so and so it must be amazing if you get the, composer to understand also the story
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I, I remember there were moments with working with with danny elfman on meet the robinsons and mm-hmm. there were times where he would pl- he he played the his his synth demo mm-hmm. for us you know to picture for the first time and it was just like that's really? perfect really it's <laughs> <That's> perfect <laughs> yes there were so many moments and and again again i I have been such a fan of Danny for years and years and years. So there was number one, there was just kind of the, the dream of I'm sitting next to Danny Elfman and he's writing music, music for a movie that I, that I directed. This is kind of hard to believe. Wake me up. Am I dreaming? Um, but then he just got it. And, and, you know, these film composers are super smart. They get it. And, you know, you don't have to do a lot. i I think with with, it it goes back to i'm sure you've heard this this phrase you know people say um 90 of directing is casting Mm. and if you get the right people in the right roles you really as a director just give them the give them the freedom to do their work and and you don't have to get in there and micromanage and noodle them because they know what they're doing and if if you cast appropriately and that means actors but it also means anybody you know in any role on the film if you got the right people then then your job is 90% over <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah i can imagine that it's and it's also bouncing off each other and mm-hmm. and the team working together yeah but now yeah. um steve about the the animation itself the because it's changed a lot since the older disney films where it's too mm-hmm animation and i still love the the old 2d animation but now that it's changed a lot has been doing you've you've been doing a lot on on computer Mm -hmm. yeah has that changed for you something about at the um about the magic of disney or do you think this is just um a new sort of a new thing that 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 has its own magic
0: yeah i i i I think exactly what you you said. It's its own thing, and it it has its own charms and its own you know uh, power to tell a story. Um, it's just slightly different. Um, I I tend to I tend to uh, I feel like when I think about two D animation, hand drawn animation, the classic stuff. To me, that's like that's like impressionist painting. It's it's capturing the world, but it's doing it with um, it's, it's an impression of the world. It's a caricature. It's an interpretation of the world um, versus computer animation is like photography, where it's also capturing the world, but it's doing it. There's there's still a there's still an eye that, it you know, there's still a photographer's eye. There's still a point of view. There's still an art, artistic aspect of photography, but it's a little more capturing reality in oh, its yeah. in its mm-hmm. truest form. Mm-hmm. Um, both totally valid, but just different ways of of making a statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know the fundamentals of telling a story, like that's the part that never gets easier, and that's the part that there's no the computer can never do for you is yeah. how do you create a compelling story and those things are universal um so no matter what the technology is to, to me that's the that's the greatest uh challenge in all of it is how do i tell this story in the right way how do i tell the story that will reach an audience and that will make an impact um so story creation is 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 still the hardest thing and the that's most challenging thing, um, and then but then the great thing is now you have you have we have so many different kinds of tools that we can use to tell those stories. Not just hand drawn animation, but now we have computer animation, or there's stop motion, or there's or there's you know some new technology that somebody's going to invent sometime that that's this great storytelling device. So um, yeah, it's just another tool in the in the toolbox
1: but now with the storytelling is that something you think uh you can teach somebody to do or is storytelling Mm -hmm. something that you are just you have it or you don't
0: i think you can teach uh you can teach principles Mm -hmm. not rules but principles of good storytelling um But then it is up to the person to know what to do with those principles. Um, And and some people gravitate towards it and understand it. And then other people may struggle more with it. Um, Or maybe that person is more of an. Of an executor of someone else's story. As opposed to a creator of their own stories, you know. Um, So I think. I, I hate to say that it's, you kind of have, you either have it or you don't, because I don't, I feel like everybody should, everybody should, should explore and, and do the things they want to do. And that it's not off limits to all, you know, to, to people. And it's not just for a, a select few that are somehow more special than others. Um, I don't mean it to sound like that, but, mm. um, but yeah, I think there are people that that have something inside of them that they want to get out, and they understand how to organize those ideas and those feelings into something with a structure and with a with with a with a with momentum and with an arc to it that can then say something by the end of it. And then, yeah, maybe the other people are more they're 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 still great communicators they're still great storytellers but as part of a team uh creating oh. a story that's already been kind of uh that's already that already has a shape to it
1: mm. oh yeah that i understand sense. what you mean yeah they're putting in the detail or or yeah getting it, yeah developed
0: yeah because everybody's yeah. a storyteller on the teams yeah. um but you know, maybe your skill is is an, is as an animator, and that's storytelling like crazy because you're 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 conveying the characters, and characters are story. You have no story without characters. So, to be able to get those characters' emotions and feelings out on the screen in animation, that's storytelling. Or you're uh, a a a, um, a background painter, that's storytelling because it's mood and it's color and it's oh, yeah. space. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you're, um, a concept artist, which is all storytelling too, because that's designing a world that's designing a cast of characters. It's all storytelling. So it's all about figuring out, okay, how do I slot into this process? You know, I, I couldn't be an animator. I, I wasn't a good animator as we talked about earlier. So I realized very early, like, okay, that's not how I fit into this process. Mm-hmm. Um, I fit in more in the earlier, like the this, the storyboarding, story creation phase, and then, you know, then leading the team to create the whole film. That was really where my strengths are. So, so everybody can be a storyteller. You, you kind of have to find out where your strengths are and and where the best place is for you in the process.
1: But now you've done so much already. I mean, the list of films <laughs> that you <laughs> that you're just so amazing but um yes. what what are still the wishes for you for the future
0: mm. i love being a director uh okay. yeah, as much as i wanted to be an animator as a little kid the 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 desire to be a director of films animation live action anything just directing filmed directing something filmed you know yeah, uh, was really my greatest dream. So I, I would love to keep directing and keep directing um, things that maybe are a little bit different from what I've done before. Um, I left Disney a couple of years ago to try to experiment and explore new things. Um, as much as I I love being a Disney storyteller, I think there are other stories that I have inside me that I would love to, to try to get out um, and other ways of telling a story that I would love to learn. Mm. Um, so you know, broad stroke, uh I I want to be a better director. (laughs) That's really like my that's really Mm. what I want in life, is just to keep doing that. Mm. Um, but I've been writing a little bit more recently. Uh and I I um gosh, I've been working on a book for quite a few years um that's gonna be published very soon, hopefully early next year. And it's a Disney history book. Um, it's called Disney In-Between, and it's about the Disney studio from 1966, which is, <clears throat> which was Walt's death, to 1986, um, when the new uh, leadership regime came in and kind of re-energized the studio. But that time between 66 and 86 was really when the Disney studios were struggling because they lost their leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, and they were trying to figure out who they were without him and as tastes changed and audiences changed and hollywood movie making changed they were sort of stuck in a they were stuck in a rut and they also had to redefine what is disney for this new world what is disney what does a disney movie mean um for this new audience of of the of the late 70s early 80s um, so a time that I was always fascinated with, uh, not a time that's very spoken about in the, in Disney history, because it isn't one of the more, uh, prosperous times, but, um, uh, very fascinating to me. So, um. So yeah, very proud of that. Oh, one, uh, yeah, book.
1: amazing. Yeah. It sounds amazing. Um, Thank when you, you were talking now, I was thinking, uh, you, uh, I never thought of that, but yeah, you, you, it was right. You know, it was and only after that that you really had these huge movies that you that we all talk about and that we all remember mm-hmm. now. But yeah. please let me know when you publish this book. I would love to to read it. It, it would yes, be I definitely will. Yeah. Know. I'm a very, I'm very much a Disney fan or, or animation fan. Uh, I think um, many of the films that I saw, and um, I mean, I, I saw it with my children when they were little. But mm-hmm. you, it's it's so, um, uh, it's always these great stories, these great lessons, and it always transports you to a different world. And yeah, I, I just absolutely love it. So.
0: Oh, great. I'm so glad. Please let
1: me know. I would love to get my hand on that book. Yeah.
0: Great.
1: (laughs) But, Steve, it was wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for giving me this insight into the world of animation. I find it very interesting, and uh, I'm sure there's still a lot to to know about it. But you've really given a very uh, interesting perspective um, about your work, and all the best with you as a director.
0: Thank you so much.
1: And I hope that these wishes of yours come true.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks for the yeah. opportunity. It was lovely speaking with you.
1: Lovely speaking to you too. And when you when you come to Vienna, please let me know.
0: Oh, I would love to. I would to, love yes. to
1: meet you in person.
0: Yes, that would be wonderful. Never been. I would love to go.
1: So, yeah. So make that one of your wishes then.
0: Great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <I> will.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Steve. <laughs> Thank you, Petra. Day. Take care. Bye. You too.
0: Bye-bye.